0: And we'll be looking tonight at verses 3 and 4. 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4. And our subject tonight is fellowship and fullness of joy. Fellowship and fullness of joy. We'll notice almost immediately, uh, John appears to be repeating himself, and in a sense he is. He returns back to an expression that he has used already Uh, a couple of times in the first two verses, and really driving home a point here is the reason for the repetitive expressions and repetitive thoughts. In verse three, he says, "'That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, "'that ye also may have fellowship with us, "'and truly our fellowship is with the Father "'and with his Son, Jesus Christ.'" And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Here's the third time that he makes mention of the words seeing and hearing. And really, John's desire here is that not only would the reader fully comprehend, but he wanted us to understand also not only the comprehension of it, but the certainty in which he is writing. What is he writing of that is a certainty if you are in Christ Jesus? Now, anytime, of course, when we read the scriptures and uh, even when we do our scripture readings, I hope we pay careful attention uh, to not only the expressions, but also uh, the way things are being stated. Um, Oftentimes, we get into a habit of just reading so quickly through a passage that we don't take the time to meditate upon the words that are being spoken. Remember who John is. Remember what John has witnessed. Uh, Remember what John has already penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember that John was speaking as an eyewitness, and there is no more fit witness to tell us about these certainties than the apostle John. He declares not what might be, he declares what is. And so there would be a whole um, whole different direction of this message tonight if what I was getting ready to tell you is just simply a hope to be, or here's what might happen to you, or here's what you might experience. He's declaring that in Christ, there is a true fellowship and a a true fullness of joy. Not things that might be, but declares to us the things that will be. I also think we need to be careful to not disregard the heart of John. Uh, remember, God used human authors. He did not use them and simply against their will to where they were just writing as uh, mere penmen. Uh, he was using their personalities. He was using who they were. Uh, that's why we have such a variety the way uh, each book of the Bible reads. It, it, it reads differently because it has different authors. But I want you to see that John is writing from a, uh, from a place of true understanding. He's writing from a place of comprehension. Um, John, no doubt, is, was chosen by God himself to be one of the inspired writers, but he's also giving us a little bit of an insight as to who John really is. And John is, in a sense, and again, I'm I'm not trying to get emotional about this, but he is giving us a little bit of insight as to what's moving him to write this. Um, Of course, he's being moved by the Spirit, but he's also being moved by the reality of what this means for him, that he's writing as a person who's experienced this. He's writing as a person who knows this true fellowship and knows what real fullness of joy is. So he's writing as a participant. He's writing as one telling you something that is for your immeasurable good. It demonstrates the care that John has, that John has not only for who you are, but for our salvation. Right, 1 John is primarily written that you may believe or that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, The the epistle of 1 John is often approached as an assurance of our salvation. And certainly there are more than one expression, more than one chapter that tell us for certainty that those are things that we can know. So John sets forth what the gospel has actually given to us. What is it actually provided to us? Uh, this fellowship word is a word that's, of course, very popular in our churches today, and we call gatherings. We even call our uh, in-between services. We call it fellowship. But he's talking about something much deeper than church fellowship. He's talking about a fellowship that is not just with other believers, although there is a fellowship there. He's talking about the fellowship that we have with God Himself, and that fellowship is far greater than even the fellowship you and I experience together. Uh, it's necessary for, Paul, for uh, John to write this so that he's giving us that the gospel, uh, it produces something that is not only tangible, but something that's very precious to them that possess it. Now, if you're in possession of eternal life tonight, if you're in possession of salvation, you are in possession of the greatest gift that could ever be bestowed upon a human being you have the gift of salvation. The ungodly do not have that same hope tonight. The unbelieving, the unbelieving soul does not have that fellowship with God. They do not have that certainty of fullness, of joy. Uh, Biblically speaking, sadly, they have a far different eternity awaiting them. But he wants us to understand, and as has been stated, that the only real place of true joy is found in the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, friends, there is never anything in this world that will bring you true joy. There are things that will bring you moments of joy. And there are things that will bring you moments of real encouragement, moments of blessing. But your greatest, your greatest known sense, source of joy is who you are and what you are in Christ, being in union with him. John is talking to people who understand what this means. John declares that the apostles themselves, and you'll notice how he, and we're going to go through the exposition here in a moment, he says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. We're declaring unto you, fellow brethren, what we have seen, what we have heard, all those that are gathered into this one body of believers, that we are all united to God. Think about that. He's talking about we are in the same fellowship if we are in Christ that John is in, the same fellowship that the apostle Paul is in, the same fellowship that Abraham, and Moses, and Isaac, and David. We're all part of fellowship that is with God. We're partakers of a true union. Not a hypothetical, mystical union, but we are actually united together in Christ. John's not writing as a person who's downcast. He's writing this as a person who's experienced full joy. Perfect joy joy and happiness. It is sad to watch Christians today try to find perfect happiness, and yet their perfect joy and perfect happiness is not found in anything this world can offer, but it's found in their union with Christ. Folks, that's why even Christians come up so empty in their life. That's why they feel so empty and so dry. Because you're trying to find something that only can be found when you think upon and are reminded that fullness of joy is found in your fellowship that you have in Jesus Christ. John's reminding, not only is this joy expressed, but this is the completion. This is what has come through the gospel. And I think what you'll see, really, if you were to give John and give this passage, just these two verses, kind of a thesis statement, where is he going with this? What is he trying to show us? He's reminding those that are the faithful in Christ and reminds them where you ought to set and fix your affections. Fix your affections on Christ. Easier said than done, right? If it was that easy, we wouldn't need reminders. Wouldn't it be joyful if we just got up every day and we knew and we just automatically fixed our affections upon Christ? Did you notice that doesn't come naturally? Oftentimes the eyes open and sadly the first thing that we fix our affections on is not Christ, but what we're facing. What the, what the day is going to bring to us and what troubles we're experiencing for those few hours while you were sleeping. Maybe you weren't thinking about those particular problems, but your eyes open and immediately the anxiety rushes back in and all the things you have to do. And before you know it, it's the middle of the afternoon and you haven't one time, not one time have you fixed your affections upon Christ. And you wonder why at the end of the day, you're all used up. You have to intentionally fix and set your eyes on Christ. Every day, it doesn't become automatic. What are we fixing our affections on? Are we, are we fixing our affections on some kind of a hypothetical plan or some sort of philosophy? No, we're fixing our affections on the certainty of the joy that's found in the fellowship with Christ. There is never a moment that is joyless if you fix your affections on Christ. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that there won't be moments in this human existence that will not rob you of your joy. Earthly joy, that is, but not that eternal joy, not that true joy, your true sense of happiness that's found only in Christ. So what is John doing? Again, he's reminding us for the third time. It's as if he's saying, brethren, I want you to know again, we have seen this. We have heard this. This is a confirmation and an illustration to you about what I've already said before. And I'm going to say it again. If you're anything like me, even spiritually speaking, I can be very stubborn and very hard headed. I can look truth of God's word in the face. I can see what it says and I can acknowledge it for what it is and then immediately still fall back into those same patterns of, yes, Lord, but what about this circumstance and the situation I'm dealing with? You see, we're robbing ourselves of joy. We're robbing ourselves of the fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't say, look, I'm just going to give you enough joy just to kind of scoot by every day. He said, you're going to have fullness of joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says, it's that what we declare unto you. Even when we sit here tonight, you're being ministered to. Not by me, but you're being ministered to by the word. The word is ministering what to you? It's ministering joy to you. It's reminding you of your fellowship in Christ. It is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is the gospel ministry? What is the message that's being declared to us? The ministry is, is that Christ is being declared and we're being reminded and it's being repeated again that Christ is the true God and he is the word, as we learned last week, the word of life. He is our eternity. Jesus Christ, who was truly man, truly God, made of a woman, made under the law, sent to be and continues to be the only mediator between God and man, came to this earth, fulfilled and continues to fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king, and still and will always stand alone as the only Savior and the only Redeemer. What John is declaring is the greatness of the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. What a savior. A savior who in all points was tempted like as we, yet without sin. A savior who has given us promises that will not be broken. Has given us spiritual blessings that cannot even be measured. And this is just a foretaste of what's to come. This declaration that John is making is the result of what is found when a person is the fruit of the gospel. And he gives us that not only have we seen this and we've heard it, we're declared unto you, and this expression, I think, often gets gets overlooked, that ye also may have fellowship with us. How do we have fellowship with the us? How do we have fellowship with the apostles who heard, who saw, who handled him in that spiritual sense? You know what this means is that we enjoy and will enjoy the same spiritual privileges because we're a part of the same family of God. I think we get it in our mind's eye that yes but this is John and this is Paul and this was Peter and they were just so much more no they were humans just like us who were saved by this glorious gospel who we are in Christ and we are in fellowship with them as well John calls God his father What are you and I who know Christ What do we call God? We call him Father. We have a true fellowship with him. We are invited to draw near to him through what avenue, through what way? Only through Christ. And as we come to Christ, we draw nigh unto him. We experience the presence of God. And every day, friends, every day, you should be discovering more of Christ's love for you. We're singing that hymn for the month of August intentionally, more love to Christ, more love to Christ. Notice it doesn't go the other direction. It's not talking about Christ. If you'll just love me more Christ, if you will just show me more of your love. No, it's us who needs to be brought to the place where we want to love him more. What you love the most is what you'll set your affections on. What you love the most in your life is where your affection is set. Is it set on Christ? More love to Christ. On bended knee, that hymn says. When's the last time you prayed for more love to Christ? Oftentimes our prayers, and I'm not saying we're praying amiss when we do this, but we come before the Lord on bended knee and we come to the Lord without, without even fixing our affections upon him and we just rattle off what we want. Imagine actually coming to the Lord and asking for more love to you. More love. Again, it seems as if John forgets where he is and he seems to repeat himself. But no, look, he says next, and truly our fellowship is with the father. Who is the father? The father of Christ himself, the covenant promised in God, the father of all his people. The father that we are told we can draw near to in faith and we can draw to him and call him Abba Father. Why can we draw to the father? Because of the son, we are in Christ. Now notice this is a continuing thought. He says, we declare unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and With his son, Jesus Christ. Actually being in union with Christ, we become, one commentator put it this way, we become a partaker of him. And we don't become him. We don't become God, of course. But we become a partaker of his blessings. We become a partaker of his fullness. We become Recipients of daily grace. We are in a place of familiarity with him. Communion. Fellowship. Song of Solomon, sadly, a very, very ignored book. Misunderstood on so many levels. Speaks about this familiarity with Christ. Being brought into his banqueting house where his banner over them is love. It goes on and talks about him supping or eating with them and we with him. This is the fellowship that John is talking about. He's talking about this is a truly blessed fellowship that you are in. Not only do you have fellowship with the father, you have fellowship with the son. Now, John doesn't mention here specifically fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but other passages of Scripture do. One of the familiar benedictions that I will read often comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which confirms this fellowship, this communion is with the Spirit as well. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, that's fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with you all, amen. I don't know how many of you have put this together, but do you know that most of the benedictions, when we read those at the close of our services, is leaving you with a reminder of the fellowship that you have in God? It's not just something to end our services in a very clear way. The benediction actually has a purpose. It has a purpose to send you off with the thought of this fellowship that you have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say this as a side note, and this we're all probably guilty of this, including myself. How many times when we leave this building is the last thing on our mind what the benediction told us? A lot of good conversations happen after church. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times our mind, the minute that last amen is said, we don't edify each other with those thoughts. I mean, if you really ever stop to think about what would happen if we actually thought about and meditated upon what we just heard. We all enjoy fellowship together. We all enjoy being able to gather around the table and meal and coffee and all. And there's nothing wrong with that. But do you know the greatest, the, what makes the fellowship of the saints so great is because of our fellowship with God. If we didn't have the fellowship with God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, would, this would just be a social gathering. This would just be something we come and we catch up on what we did this week. How was your week? But we have fellowship with the God of the God of the universe. And we have this fellowship With the Son. There is a danger of becoming too familiar with our fellowship with the Father. But then again, notice what he says in verse 4. He goes on, if that's not enough, that you have fellowship, and notice he says, truly our fellowship is. He doesn't say this might be the case. He gives us the exact reason why why he's already written the first four verses of chapter 1. These things. Write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, I have a note in my Bible. Some of you have the same Bible I have. Look at the note. It just says, the result of fellowship and goal of the gospel is what? Joy. Joy. That your joy would be full. Now, what things is he talking about that we write unto you? He's talking about the, the truth of what he's already spoken about in verses one, two, and three. What's he written about already? He's written about the deity and the humanity of Christ. In four short verses, he's already told us about where eternal life is and who it is in. The word of life, he's told us what about the truth. He's told us about how he was manifested in the flesh. John is writing concerning that eternal life And the salvation that's being declared in the gospel. This is the source of not only our fellowship, but the source of our joy. That your joy may be full. Now, there can be a couple different perspectives on this. John could very well simply mean spiritual joy in this life. Now, I know it's not easy to do this, folks, and I'm not telling you that I've mastered this. But there is no reason on this earth for Christians to not be joyful. Now, I wish we all could look at each other and say, that's not a problem with me. I am always joyous. The problem is, is we're not And the problem isn't that our joy is to be full. It's because our eyes are not fixed on the right thing and on the right person. Folks, I can't tell you how hard it is to fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We get so prideful that we think we can actually manage and navigate this life on our own. And many days we get from sun up until sundown until our head hits the pillow, and not one time have we considered our fellowship with Christ and we see, hmm, I made it through that day without any problems at all. Well, you made it through the day, but you know what you really missed? You missed the full expression of what the joy filled Christian life is supposed to be about. I think if any of us actually saw what fullness of joy in Christ by having your affections fixed on Christ look like, we would never want to give it up. I'm convinced many of us have never actually experienced it in this life. One of the saddest statements I've ever heard people say over the years is, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to hang on in this life until the Lord takes me home. What a horrible way to live. Oh, there's great joy coming when he comes back for you, but that's not the way the Christian life's supposed to be lived, that you're just enduring this. You say, how can you be joyful when the world is so dark? Because of your fellowship in Jesus Christ, that no matter how dark the world gets, the light of Christ is shining in your heart. Our circumstances should not be dictating our joy. You say, you don't know my circumstances. And if I wasn't trying to be cute about this, I'd say the same thing to you and you don't know mine. Circumstances are not what make you joy, joyful or happy. But he says your joy is filled, increased. How do we increase this joy? By thinking upon our consequences? No, by considering his proper Deity. Who is Christ? What has He promised me? What does His incarnation tell me? What does it mean that I have a mediator who's at the right hand of the Father? Is that just a theological seminary level term, to you? Or do you actually experience what it is? Have you ever stopped today to even think about what it means you have a mediator in the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father who at any moment of this day, and actually you should have been all day because the Bible says pray without ceasing, you have had access and fellowship with the entire Godhead all day long, every day. When you consider the right things, consider your standing, considering that you have been freely justified by his grace, according to the righteousness of Christ. Full atonement has been paid by his blood. Folks, imagine if we could just fix our eyes and get just a glimpse of the glorious person of Christ. Our eyes today have seen so many things probably many things that did you absolutely no good at all. But let me ask you this. Have you had a glimpse and a view of the glorious person of Christ today? Have you seen him one time today? And I'm not talking about seeing some bodily image of him. That's to make him so, that's to make such a shallow thought. Have you seen his glorious person because of your standing in Christ? You see, we're not supposed to just have this hypothetical communion with him. We are actually in fellowship with him. We sing hymns that talk about his love for us. We sing hymns about how his love passes our knowledge. looking for the joy that comes in the in the world and yet every day we have right in our own hearts we have the joy of Christ you know we really are supposed to glorify God and enjoy him forever it's sad that that little expression that shows up in the Westminster Confession of Faith's kind of gotten dropped off you know that's the rest of it What, what is what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Enjoy. The last people on this earth who should be downcast and joyless are people who have fellowship with the Godhead. When you get a view and what John is talking about, remember, John said, we've seen this, we've heard him, we've handled him. And he said, this fellowship we declare unto you as well. John's talking about an experimental acquaintance, the enjoyment of what it means to know I am in fellowship with this God. Now, it can mean spiritual joy in this world, and there is a joy about the world to come. There is a joy in knowing that we will be forever in the presence of Christ that we need a perfect Savior. But do you know there's no greater joy that comes to the heart of another believer than to see a a person who was dead in their trespasses and sins now come to know Christ as their Savior. There's no greater joy for ministers of the gospel. There's no greater joy that a, a preacher or a pastor has than to see somebody have their eyes open to the truth of who Christ is. Folks, this is what establishes us. This is what gives us a foundation. This is what gives us a firm fitting even when the storms of life are battering your house. Look, when your eyes are fixed on the fellowship and the full joy you have, you just need to you need to look to him. Look to his word. Look to the communion and the fellowship that John says, this is not something you might have if you're good enough. This is something you might have if you obey, obey, obey my commandments. This is true fellowship and full joy that you have right now. I said earlier that wherever, you're, wherever you set your affections, that's what you love the most. It's interesting, Jesus himself in Matthew 6, 21 said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not just a verse we're to memorize and hide in our heart. It's the truth. Whatever you treasure the most, that's where your heart is. Is your heart fixed upon the things of this world or is your heart fixed upon the treasure of who Christ is? Folks, I truly believe if we comprehend what true fellowship is, and maybe this is something you need to do in your own study, what does it truly mean to have real, true fellowship with God? Once you get that, you will be satisfied with Christ alone. You won't need anything else. The desires that are burning within you that say, look, I need this to be happy, I need this to be joyful, no, You'll be satisfied with Christ. That's what John wants us to understand. Because in Jesus Christ, there is full joy. It's a very joy that we're all striving for. Now, Paul doesn't use these words in Philippians 3, verse 8. But he is implying by where he has set his affections that he understood what this fellowship and full joy is. Philippians 3.8, says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. The only people Who count everything in this world for loss and count even if they lose everything in this world? He said, Everything in this world, I count them but dung. I don't have to tell you what that word means. It's the lowest of low. He said, I count it all worthless. My eyes are fixed on Christ, my affections. I think we'd be fair to say that the Apostle Paul knew what the gospel was, knew what the gospel produced. I would say he was probably very proficient in preaching the gospel that we would not question. Hey, do you think Paul really knew his doctrine? Do you think Paul really knew the scriptures? I think Paul knew the scriptures, but I want to say this. I'm going to say it carefully. But I also think he truly knew Christ. And what I'm saying is that you can have an acquaintance with Christ. You can say, I know the scriptures. I know the theology. I know the doctrine. And yet not love Christ as you should. We have substituted knowledge for personal communion and fellowship. Am I saying don't be in the word? No, I'm saying you should probably triple how much time you're spending in the Word. I'm not saying that as a Pharisee. I'm just telling you that's, think about how much time today, how much of your waking hours today have been fixed upon Christ? How many hours, minutes maybe, how many seconds were you in the Word today, if any? You see, this is where we get to know and are reminded every day about our fellowship with Christ and who he is. Folks, I've said it and I'll say it again. Whatever you're gonna fill your eyes and your head with, it is going to affect how you feel in this world. You cannot keep filling your eyes and your head with garbage and expect garbage not to come out. But if you will fix and think and meditate and pray and even just meditate on verses three and four about what John is saying to us, there is a promise of joy when we think about the fellowship that we have. Just like Paul preferred Christ to the whole world. Is there anything you prefer more than Christ? Paul is telling us in his Letter to the Philippians I'm ready to relinquish everything in this world to win Christ. I will give it all up because at the end of the day, all of it is worthless rubbish that should just be on the trash heap that I may win Christ. John challenges us to consider and think where are our eyes fixed? Are they fixed upon the reality? As I said at the beginning, his thesis here, reminding those who are in Christ, here's where you should fix your affections. And I'll just simply close by asking that question. Are our affections set upon Christ Jesus and the fellowship and the full joy that we should have with him? Let's pray together.